All the Lonely People. Written and produced by me, Jason Nelson. Chapter 5 When I was eight, I woke up one morning with a bad premonition. What caused that feeling was unclear, but there was something unknown that took me outside to my parents' garage, looking for my favorite cat, Blackie. The house had only begun stirring, so no one was around when my search took me outside. A few weeks before, as my grandparents were clearing out the shed at their farm, they had uncovered an old telephone pole that was shortened, painted white, and converted into a basketball goal. It was delivered to our house on the back of my grandpa's trailer and sat untouched for several weeks until my dad took an old wooden-handled post digger and began to carve a hole several feet deep at the edge of our driveway. It was spring, and not too unusual for a spring in the Midwest, the past several days were very rainy. I looked at the edges of our house, but the unknown feeling drew me to that hole, and looking down inside it, I saw the floating body of my cat. I laid down in the mud and reached as far as my little arms could go, fingers struggling, grasping until they snagged on a paw, fingers clenching, forming a fist around the paw and lifting until my other hand could help until I pulled Blackie out of the hole. Sitting on the ground, holding the wet, stiff body, I cried, not comprehending this experience, but knowing that something was different. Picking myself up, I headed into the garage, carrying the body, calling my parents. I entered the kitchen. My dad was pouring pancake batter into a skillet, and I was holding my cat, dripping water in a small puddle onto the kitchen floor. A few days later, that trauma was a distant memory. Watching my daughter pack her doll, a plastic cheese sandwich, and a couple spare pretend diapers into her backpack, all for an afternoon hike. I wonder if her relationship with loss is the same. Is it a distant memory filled with the occasional sense of mommy loved eating chocolate chip cookies or mommy loved listening to this music? It's in these memories where I begin to get a little bit angry at her for taking mommy for granted and not missing her as much as I miss her. But then I remember that she's three. What will she remember of her? Will she only remember the sickness? When she's older and is having playdates and is seeing other mothers interact with their daughters, will she wonder why mommy was too weak to play dolls or yelled at her for singing too loudly when mommy was trying to rest? We take a familiar trail, one that all three of us used to take. I let us go at Eleanor's pace not letting myself micromanage her as she scours the trail for shiny rocks to add to her collection. Somehow, after only a few hundred feet, I've somehow ended up carrying her backpack. I miss her. For so long she had been mommy or wife that it feels odd forming her name on my tongue 
But as we're plodding along this trail, I remember one of the early reasons why I said, this is the one. And it was because of her name. There was a certain elegance and refinement in it. Veronica Gray. And within it, there was a certain decorum that was prescribed in the way you wanted to be around her. She drew people in with her wit and personality. Her extroverted tendencies made us even more of an odd match. When I was younger, my introvertedness, combined with my seriousness and intensity, usually led people to incorrect assumptions about my sexuality. Seriousness and insensitivity were my default settings. I didn't know how to carry myself through social situations. Unable to pick up on social or emotional cues without feeling completely mentally drained after a night on the town. In retrospect, I believe that most of my personality traits were projections of the novels I read, movies I watched, and music I listened to. All those forms of media shaped an alternate reality in a world I didn't really fit into. By the time I entered adulthood, my idea of relationships were a convoluted mess. If I had a checklist, I would have told you that I knew I wanted love. If you had asked for me to define love, I wouldn't know where to begin. It was a feeling, but it wasn't until I felt that urging, that, that feeling of you ought to with Veronica, that I knew what love could be. Before that moment, the idea of love was all about companionship. Seeking a connection, whatever that connection may be, with another person. All those times I felt passion or what I thought was love was just a fierce, strong connection. A rebellion against loneliness between two lonely human beings. That sense and desire for connection is even stronger now that I spend most of my hours by myself. Strangely, the moments when I miss her most are the moments filled with things we never did together. Like taking out the garbage. I think it's because of the quietness of those actions, that space between the house and the fence, in the darkness where everything is still. A night underneath the stars on a picnic blanket. The sensation of grass beneath our fingers as we lean into each other. A multicolored parachute being flung into the air, laughing as Eleanor giggles, trying to grasp it in her chubby hands, barely able to stay balanced with her full diaper and undeveloped core. Flashlights under the sheets of a blanket fort. The sensation of warm skin underneath a cool sheet. Lying on the couch, head in her lap, sinking into her. There was a familiarity and comfortability we had achieved after only a few dates. There was a sense in our actions and how we responded to each other emotionally that we were, for the lack of a better term, a good fit. She leans down, eyes closing at the right moment, lips parting and meeting soft parted lips. They meet, compress, and release. I love you. The words passed through my lips before I could stop them. The idea of love had been building since we first met in that persistent feeling of you ought to. 
There was an immediate sense of relief in saying those words. It felt right. Saying anything else like, I like you, felt empty and not as true as what I was truly feeling. Veronica's eyebrows raised. Why? I think I was expecting something reciprocal instead of a challenge, and for the moment, the logic behind my confession was gone. I feel balanced, I begin after a moment of silence. You keep me balanced. I'm not perfect, but you help me be better than I am. I could hear myself talking, and it's not going well. This should have been one of those conversations I rehearsed in my head. Even now, thinking about those words and actions and where they led, I wonder if a part of my intensity was a collaborated and calculated plan to sleep with her. But then I remember my track record and tell myself that I'm giving myself more credit than what was due. There's silence between us, so I backtrack and say, I'm sorry. It's more of a question than an apology, but she smiles and says, It's okay. I love you too. Our declaration on intent was complete. It wasn't fueled by a momentary spark of passion. Neither was it fueled by logic, most evident by the lack of any substantive explanation. It was just something that was meant to be. My intent was to take her out to dinner, but we never left her apartment. We sat talking for hours. After a normal dinner hour came and went, we found ourselves in the kitchen cooking. Within the confines of that small space, for the first time in my life, I found myself perfectly in sync with another person. It was a dance without any choreography, both of us aware of each other's proximity. Moving between tasks, cutting up this or that, sautéing, boiling, swapping spots. The occasional brushing and touching of fingertips. The occasional kiss with messy fingers or sharp instruments held up in awkward positions to avoid stains or stabbings. By the time dinner was ready, we were ravenous, so conversation all but ceased until Veronica asked if I believed in soulmates. I'm not sure, I say. I think I believe more in the concept of the alter ego. What? she asked. It's as if you are another world, another planet, completely different and distant as any other, but there is something about you that makes me want to leave the confines of my own ego, the confines of my own world and journey to you. Cross a bridge, she asks. Sure, I say. As long as it's a rainbow bridge. And with that subtle comic book reference I knew this was it there's that silence again the meal ends I finish my wine she catches me looking at my watch and sees the look I get when I realize how late it is and start calculating drive time and the impact it'll have on my sleep that's when she asks if I want to stay we clear and wash the dishes putting the few leftovers we have in containers and finishing off the wine. Veronica leaves me alone in her bedroom as she goes into the bathroom and shuts the door. I'm unsure what to do. Did she want to share her bed with me? 
Should I be a gentleman and insist that the floor would be fine? Presumably it was the bed and not the floor, because otherwise she would have left me on the couch. I unbuckled my pants and let them fall, only then remembering to remove my shoes. It's at that moment, as I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, trying to remove my shoes from underneath my bunched pant legs, that she emerges from the bathroom. She laughs. Going to her dresser, she pulls out a t-shirt and puts it on over her dress. I watch her, and she watches me as she slides her dress down and steps out of it, the t-shirt barely covering her underwear. She holds my gaze. It's a challenge, and it's challenging. I want to let my eyes drift and roam and soak in every inch of her, but to do so would cheapen all the moments that led to this moment. Reaching behind her back, she unhooks her bra and threads it through the sleeves of her t-shirt, placing on top of her dresser. The lights are out. We're lying in bed, our bodies pressed together, arms wrapped around each other. We're no longer talking as our lips still move, parting, meeting, compressing, releasing, testing, tasting. My hand rests on her lower back, over her shirt, pressing her towards me time ceased to exist. We existed only within each other's presence and sense of the present. There was no other thoughts to our emotions, no pulling or testing from ghosts of the past or anxieties of the future. It was enough to just exist. She fell asleep with her head nestled against my shoulder. Her t-shirt was pulled slightly to reveal her shoulder. My eyes found a tiny mole there. I studied it until I fell asleep, memorizing its pattern. I wanted more, but the voice of Uatu was quiet. It was enough. Daddy! And I'm pulled from my thoughts back to the present. My daughter is pointing off the trail where a herd of mule deer are gathered and foraging through the sparse grass and foliage. They heard her exclamation and looked up at us, assessing for a few moments before going back to their meal. We find a small boulder just off the beaten path and sit watching the deer for a while. Eleanor asks questions. What are they eating? What are their names? She starts naming them. Most of the names have princess names, except for a young buck she names Mr. Poopy Pants. Which one do you think is the mommy? I'm quiet for a little while, listening to the wind through the trees, the sound of water moving through a creek in the distance, the muted voices of other hikers up the trail. I begin to cry. Eleanor looks up at me. Why are you crying, Daddy? She asks. I don't answer, so she takes my shaking hand in hers and continues watching the deer until, after some time, she roars a terrible roar, and they run off, and it's time for us to head home. She's exhausted by the time we get home, so we do a quick, easy dinner, bath time, and an early bedtime. For a while, I sit with her as she is falling asleep. Thankfully, my mind is an empty shell. I feel at peace for the first time in a long time. 
When I get downstairs, I get out the untouched journal a therapist suggested I purchase. Sitting down, I begin to write. There's no plan or premeditation going into it, but as I write, I recall my faulty memory. So my writing begins to form as a collection of memories of Veronica. I stop, flexing my fingers, looking at my watch, realizing that it's later than I thought. Upstairs there's a thump, followed by the sound of feet walking across the floor. I get up from the couch, walking upstairs. This isn't an unusual occurrence. Typically she'll wake, cross the room for a glass of water, and go back to sleep. Other times the thump is her rolling out of the bed, usually followed by crying, which is why I think it's the former. Opening the door, I pause. There... Leaning over the bed is Veronica. She is stroking Eleanor's hair and singing softly to her. Eleanor's eyes are closed. She's deep asleep. Veronica's wearing her typical pajamas, underwear and a braless tank top. She looks healthy. Healthier than she has for the last two years. Veronica looks up and smiles at me. At a loss for words. My mind is racing, trying to piece together the logic of this illogical situation. I miss you, I say. And it's then that she fades. All the Lonely People is written and produced by me, Jason Nelson. Original soundtrack and composition by Tone of Just Tone Music. Sound editing by Brian Kaler. This show is made possible and ad-free through your contributions. You can support us at patreon.com slash allthelonelypeople. You can also purchase our ebook on amazon.com, as well as our soundtrack through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite player. Spread the word about this podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for All the Lonely People Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Share it with your friends. Tune in next week for another chapter. And remember, don't be lonely.